This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. I'm continuing my look back at the highlights from the first 100 episodes. Since punk rock and music that followed it was pretty formative for me, I'm aesthetically drawn to independent music. On 12 Songs, I've paid attention to a number of indie artists, in part because their music and approach often interest me. That simple. But I also want to draw attention to the way Christmas music is part of artists' contemporary musical practice. Much of the Christmas canon was recorded before I was born. And since one thing I think is really important is that we have a contemporary connection to traditions, so it's important to me that we don't simply see Christmas music as something that belongs to our parents' or our grandparents' generations. I want music made in a world I recognize. This week's show starts with an interview I conducted with Ernie Haas of the Christian vocal group Ernie Haas and Signature Sound. As I've said in a previous episode, I'll happily have faith-based conversations about Christmas music when they make sense because it's clearly central to the experience for many people. When we talked, Haas had released A Jazzy Little Christmas, and much of the conversation had to do with the recording of that record with Tony Bennett's musical arranger Billy Stritch. But along the way, we also talked about the way he and Signature Sound perform secular music as well as spiritual Christmas music on their albums. Another Christmas in Manhattan Where the snow's already Greetings all around And the city that's my kind of town It never sleeps Another Christmas in Manhattan You know, I believe that uh, something big, major event happened mm-hmm. in Bethlehem. Right. <laughs> and, and so there's a a song that we sing and it sounds like it came straight from the Muppets. It's called, he started the whole world singing. Yep. And so, and so there are, there are a lot of people out there who are more filled with questions than with answers. And I would still have to put myself in that category. Just, you believe that there's something bigger than all of us. And you want to believe that God did care enough sure. <laughs> to come to us. And so, um, and here's what I, Alex, and here's what I'm trying to say. At Christmas, you have people who probably wouldn't talk about that or even think about that being true, saying, mm, I entertain that idea. And then you have people who are completely sold on that idea, who are saying, I'm cool with Santa Claus and Rudolph. <laughs> so it's like for one magical season, everybody is okay in the same room. As soon as it's over with, Everybody goes back in their own corner, and um, that, to me, is is, is, a, is probably a, a bigger thing that we could talk about um, that the music does. It brings people together who normally probably wouldn't want to be in the same room together, and I absolutely love that. And we need anything that brings community and brings people together. We need to celebrate those things. So one of the things uh... – 
I found interesting when I looked at your Christmas uh, records is that you do a mix of both of carols and hymns and secular music. Like I even saw like Heat Miser in there. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> My favorite claymation <laughs> Christmas shows of all time. <laughs> uh, why fold the uh, secular songs into the mix? Uh, if I'm being honest with you, I just don't see a line between secular and sacred. It's all sacred to me. If I can, if I can make somebody laugh by doing Heat Miser on stage, and we do, we act it out. Our bass vocalist, Paul Harkey, is from the South, and he likes Christmas warm and hot. And I'm from the North. I love it cold with snow. I mean, and we act it out on stage, and the crowd is dying laughing, belly laughing. Well, in that crowd, there's people sitting there going through this amazing crap in their life. I mean, my sister-in-law just died two years ago with cancer. December 9th was diagnosed, December 31st gone. I mean, so I know in that crowd, there's people out there who are struggling, who are hurting. When they're laughing, belly laughing at me and what we do on stage and the entertainment that we bring, that's not secular. That's sacred to me. So I I just – I'm weird. I just don't – I don't see things that way. Um, I just – however I can get somebody's attention and entertain them and make their day a better day, it's it's all sacred to me. Do you get any pushback from people who don't see it the same way? Absolutely all the time. And like I'm trying to say in so many words, it would be a lot easier if I just choose a side and do sacred hymns of Christmas. And it would be a lot easier if I would just do nothing but Santa songs. You just you find your crowd and you go. Sure. I just don't I choose not to live my life that way because I don't wake up in the morning thinking that way. Uh, I look forward. I love basketball, man. I, I look, I, I, I hear jazz when I play basketball, right? I'm improvising. Um, you know, so I just, for me, I know everybody can't live that way, but I just, I embrace the mystery every day. I wake up and, uh, and when I'm not that way, I, I find that I'm very self, I'm being self-centered and, 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 and I'm being, a, I'm hoarding things. I'm not, I'm not living my life with a, with a giving spirit. And, um, it's just not a good way to live. So, you know, when I, when I, when I sing, um, I try to, I try my very best to sing from that center and, and from that starting point. And, um, that's just what makes me, what makes me tick. Another Christmas One conversation that paid off better than I expected was with Jamie Hilsden, who recorded two EPs of punk rock Christmas music under the name The Murderers. Murrs in gold, frankincense, and. Punk Christmas music has often been easy and reflexively dismissive toward the holiday. That doesn't interest me very much, but Hilsden's personal story was engaging, and he proved to be really thoughtful when discussing how to adapt Christmas music to punk, because in the process, you had to think about what punk actually is. The way he thinks about it isn't exactly the way I do, but that in itself interested me.
you had the idea. Uh, was this your idea of doing this? Yeah. Um, or yeah. is this you and friends had this idea? Or Well, it was. I was on a tour last year. I live in Poland right now. Okay. Uh, and... And last year, I was on a on a tour in Poland, kind of like this review, um, you know, a whole bunch of kind of pretty well-known Polish singers. And I was just a guitarist in that tour, and it was a Christmas tour. So every artist would come up and sing one or two songs, and I was in the backing band. And uh, we were doing Oh Holy Night, and for some reason, it came to my mind that this song could be done punk. And if you just switch the six eight to a four four, but you do it fast, you can kind of you can kind of pull it off. And then I made a quick demo of it, and I loved it so much that I just tried another one. I think the next one I did was "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," and I liked that too. And then it just kept rolling, kept making demo after demo. Then I finally took it to musician friends, and then we actually played it in the studio. What? What challenges did you? What challenge happens to the song, or what was the challenge of turning? A holy night from six eight to four four. Um, the problem was in that particular song is that the verse worked in that time signature, and then the chorus didn't work. Huh. And then I had to think of a solution for that. And the solution, the solution that came to me was to speed up the chorus twice as fast, and then suddenly it did fit in, and then it did sound like kind of a legit punk song. Right. And in general, that's the big challenge, is to make the songs still sound like Christmas songs, but also sound like legit punk songs, that it doesn't sound like forced. Like, I want these songs to sound like they could have been written by a punk band. Right. When you were doing this project, were you doing it with affection toward Christmas music, or is this way of, a way of taking the piss out of Christmas? No, very much with affection for Christmas. Um, I, I'm Canadian. I have a really complicated story i'm canadian i was born there i moved to israel when i was four years old and i actually grew up on a street called bethlehem road in jerusalem that it's called bethlehem road because if you follow it about four or five miles you will actually reach bethlehem so i but i grew up as a canadian in israel and while christmas wasn't really part of society in israel but Christmas was part of my home, and it was by far my favorite time of the year. I would feel this Christmas spirit. I love the music. My mom is a musician, so we grew up on, the, on good stuff. And I, just, I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. So I, I, I'm not taking with this. Okay. What was your relationship to Christmas music growing up? Especially in, I mean, because you, I would imagine that for the most part, I mean, you would hear music before you were four, but I also... If you're like me, there's not much I remember from before I was yeah. four. So most yeah. of the music I I remember, I remember from older than that. So yeah, but we had, but we did listen to it after I was four. After we moved to Israel, we still celebrated Christmas. And my mom, I think she had a few Christmas albums, but she had one cassette that she recorded off the radio uh, in Toronto, uh, KFRB ten ten something like that. And every year they have a great Christmas show, and she just recorded it once. And we would hear that every year. And in retrospect, I think it was, you know, the best renditions of most of the songs, the good Andy Williams and Sinatra versions. And I would just hear it every single year, and I would love it. Now, what's your relationship to Christmas songs by, like, Andy Williams and Perry Como? Well, I like that. I the Perry Como, I never really wasn't part of our family. But Andy Williams, Sinatra, 
um, Dean Martin. You know, I am a, I am a little tired of it to be honest. Like I, it's wonderful. I wouldn't, I would never knock it, but I guess there's only so many times you get to a certain age and you don't want to hear the same versions of it. So I guess I am trying to like kind of re enjoy the songs. Another conversation that was almost end-to-end money for me was with Kelly Finnegan, whose A Joyful Sound is another modern Christmas classic for me, along with J.D. McPherson's Socks. Finnegan draws inspiration from the psychedelic soul and R&B from the late 60s and early 70s. For me, that was doubly interesting. Not only did I want to understand his process for adapting Christmas music to soul, but what I call retro soul or crate digger soul is a fascinating conversation in itself to me. Acts like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Charles Bradley, Nicole Willis, Finnegan, and many of the artists on coal mine record labels are making semi-faithful versions of music that they only experienced through records that they bought, sometimes decades after they were made. It feels to me like a real expression of fandom, and that was part of the conversation. Part of the reason that you wrote your own songs for this to uh, define for uh, for joyful sound to find a way to talk about Christmas in terms that are actually relevant to to your world. Oh, definitely, and and it's just I'm just the kind of guy. Who it's like I like I like covers. I'm not. I think as Pete, you know, as a new generation continues to come into music, I think people miss. Uh, what covers is about. You don't see a lot of young bands, you know. You're not going to pick up a record from a new young band and see all covers like you would have in 1970. It's like, no, we're doing Carole King songs. We're doing that. You know, it's like, we're going to great, great songs. That's kind of a different... um, But all those great Christmas songs have just been so... It's hard to find one that hasn't been done a hundred times at this point. And I just felt personally that I was like, well, I love Christmas music and... You know, I'm very protective about what I've done to this point. So e, the, the way I view myself is like, it would be strange if I liked me as an artist. I would be a little bit thrown if all of a sudden I did a Christmas record just full of traditional. I don't know. For me, I just thought of like that would seem out of character for me. So it just became very much a thing where I was like, well, I want to write some songs. And sometimes the fun thing was, is like, sometimes they just, um, sometimes they just happened. 
And it would even be a thing where it's like, man, this is going somewhere. I, I've got a melody and some chords. But then playing it more, I'd go, well, this could be a Christmas song. And I don't know if everybody has that thought process, honestly, because I think most people, I mean, not to jump around too much, but like one thing I told multiple people was like, one thing I didn't do on this record is write something and go, man, this is really good. It's too good for a Christmas record. Uh, uh, I want, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to have that attitude because I, I've heard people talk like that and go, why would I give my best? It's like, why would you give your best? Because that's what you do all the time. Like, Christmas music, you don't just do it to like, to do it. And I think that was, I think that's a different thing that artists, I think there's just a lost sense of why these great records came out. Now to think that sometimes the label owner or A&R or whoever didn't come to them and say, listen, you're hot right now. We need to get some Christmas songs out. Like this would be at your best um, but at the same time, I'm sure a lot of artists were like, Hey man, I want to cut some Christmas music. I want to, I want to do this. Let's do this. This sounds fun. Um, so my, my thing was just, yeah, I wanted to tell my own story. I, I, I just wanted it to feel connected to everything else I've done thus far. I didn't want it to just, I didn't want it to be a traditional Christmas record. I wanted to feel very much like, uh, I took something traditional and tried to just, you know, put a different spin on it. Actress Amy Carlson is probably best known right now for her role on CBS TV show Blue Bloods. She's also the singer in Office Romance with her husband, Sid Butler, and Seth Jabor, the latter of whom are also members of the Seth Meyers 8G Band. In 2020, they released a Christmas album, Holidays of Love, and Carlson and Jabor came on to talk about it. Jabor talked about how his experience hustling music together for Late Night with Seth Meyers helped them write Christmas music. And Carlson was the first person to appear on the show who had actually been on a sleigh ride. While we talked, she talked about how important the kind of Christmas compilation you can find in any goodwill was to her love of Christmas music. Part of the I country. grew up in the suburbs. Where? In the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you have, do you have Chris have have songs that from that time that stand out to you? Things you remember specifically? Uh, yeah, there was these. Um, gee, I don't know if you remember those Firestone Christmas records. Do you remember those? Absolutely. I mean, come on, that's like the best. So uh, we had these those Firestone Christmas records and also 
which for your listeners, if they don't know, those are the, you would get them with tires if you would buy tires. So these, my parents had from growing up uh, and yeah, if you buy a set of tires at Christmas, you get a Firestone Christmas record. <laughs> I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> buy Absolutely. tires, get a Christmas record. So, I mean, like Maurice Chevalier and, and all of those songs from there. And then the greatest songs at Christmas. Do you remember those records? Vaguely. Vaguely? Yeah. I'm going to pull those out in a second because I'm really bad with um, remembering names. Um, um, but Seth, you talk. Tell me about yours. And that we'll, we'll circle back when I get my brain on. About um, okay. Uh, yeah, I would say, like, mostly holiday music was on, like, um from television shows mm -hmm. you know and despite the fact that like my parents collected music and listened to music I, I don't i don't really i don't have a memory of us like playing a lot of holiday music around the house like if bob dylan didn't make a christmas record or willie nelson <laughs> then it probably didn't get a lot of rotation <laughs> that being said uh like all the old classic um like little claymation movies Mm -hmm. sure. you know, like Rudolph Matt, like Silver and Gold. I think that was like Yukon Jack song. Mm -hmm. Like still like one of my favorites. Um, so I probably absorbed most of my Christmas music through that. And then just being out in the world. Cause I mean, it's you, so ubiquitous around the holidays that it, you know, it's like funny. Like you ask a question like Christmas music. I don't know when I started hearing it. I think it, it's just, it's always been in my world. Sure. You know, what I mean? um, not until I became older, not until I got married my wife, her birthday falls in December. So getting a tree early on in the season and getting it up is something that she likes to do to sort of celebrate her birthday as well. And along with that goes, as Amy says, like almost nonstop Christmas music, basically from the beginning of December right through the season. Um, and it's a lot more fun now as I'm older. That's something that her and I started enjoying as a, tr a tradition together. And now that we have the kids, they're also a part of that too, you know, but it's great. Cause, um, like, I don't have, like, what Amy said, I guess, like, who was, like, one of the big ones? Amy was, like, Bing Crosby and stuff. Bing like, Crosby, yeah. Um, like, we have a lot of that in our playlists that get, that get put on heavy rotation around the holidays, um, you know. So this is, like, this to me is, like, the greatest, one of the greatest albums <laughs> ever made. <laughs> and Andy Williams, uh, there was a song, Jolly Old St. Nicholas, I mentioned Maurice Chevalier. So he sang this very heavy, uh, heavily accented French, uh, um, French accent of Jolly Old St. Nicholas, which was Jolly Old St. Nicholas, Ligno il way. Don't you tell a single soul yeah. what I'm going to say. Now I got a little German in there, but that, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I remember it junior high standing up. I remember junior high getting on a um a bookcase in the library and seeing that to my class. And I was shy, but the passion of that Maurice Chevalier version and that accent just, just overtook me. And I was, um, you know, made bold by that. But I yeah, I mean, like Doris Day singing Silver Bells. I mean, Dinah Shore, I mean, come on these people like you can't these are like the the, the most amazing this is the most amazing um yeah but andy williams and then you know you have uh, for oh holy night that's a beautiful one but then also celine dion she really mm -hmm. she belted one out that was incredible also of oh holy night 
We, uh, last season, I ended up, I talked to a local indie rock musician about, just whacked my, my, my microphone, about those kinds of, um, uh, of compilations. And that he was talking about how, like, this was absolutely central to his family's Christmas. And it wasn't Firestone, but it was another of that similar kind of compilation. And it had uh, Harry Belafonte and uh, Ed Ames with... Um, Oh, the, uh, the Christmas donkey. And it was, just, you know, this, but for so many people, that was the way their Christmas kind of worked, that it was like this sort of compilation that was a little bit of everything and a little bit of like light orchestra or light classical. And it was serious. And there was something in there that was specifically for the kids. And that kind, and it's interesting to think about now how much those shaped people's ideas about music and you think about the idea that how many people really how you know when they went through their teenage or you know early you know early 20 years how much they were focused on kind of one or two kinds of music but where christmas is concerned you're suddenly become you know have massively wide tastes because you have these these records to some extent shaped your ideas about what christmas music sounded like Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and when we did, when we were writing um, this Christmas record, um, a lot, there's, we tried to put in a lot of um, homages to uh, Christmas songs that we knew growing up. I mean, there's even a moment in like um, Magic in the Air where I was like, look out, because there's this song, uh, uh, Slady Ride, where there's one that we're in there, she says, like, look out! And me and my sisters were growing up, we would always make fun of that moment because it was just so dorky, like, you know? You know what? But we, I wanted to put it in there because it's a complete reference to that that moment in that song. Alex, so only, like, the real aficionados will get it. But, yeah. This is the first time I'm, I'm hearing this, too. That's so great, though, because, uh, like, I noticed that every time I listened to that song, and uh, I didn't know that there was such a backstory to it. Yeah, it's yeah. a reference. That is so cool. I love that. I think that's so neat. I almost wish you didn't tell us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but only like super nerd, uh, super hardcore Christmas yeah. album nerds will watch that. At one point in the run of the show, COVID became an inescapable part of the conversation. Chaz Justice, guitarist from Lafayette, Louisiana, pulled together a collection of Christmas songs sung in Cajun French by members of the local indie community. In our conversation, we talked about how COVID actually made his EP, Joyeux Noël, Bon Christmas, possible. What have you been doing with yourself since, uh, with sort of in COVID times? Um, one of the, the things was we, um, 
we got a or I got a grant to make this uh, Christmas record, um, and actually got the grant before COVID, and it uh, it couldn't have worked out better. I mean, in in some ways, I've been I've been you know every, everybody's had a tough time with all this stuff, but I think I've been one of the most fortunate people that I know. Um, in in it, the, the grant being one of the things, other, other things in my life have been have been going pretty well, but the, uh, the grant itself we got before COVID and, um, and it was, it was, it couldn't have worked out better. Uh, in some ways COVID actually worked in our favor, which is terrible to say, but, um, uh, because we wouldn't have been able to make the record necessarily in August and September, which is you come to realize that nobody makes Christmas records at Christmas. Right. Um, that's, something I learned about it. Uh, I don't think it's ever happened, uh, that anybody ever actually made a Christmas record. It was a live record or something. So, uh, you end up making them in August and September typically or something like that. And everybody would have been on tour. So we had a bunch of professional, you know, world-class musicians who otherwise would have been predisposed who were available to, um, to make this record. So, and, and, and like they had everything to put into it they had been either uh, collecting unemployment or working at Trader Joe's or doing <laughs> landscaping. <laughs> um, so, and, or all these things, waiting tables, you know, uh, or whatever they got to do. Um, and so we had a little bit of, of money and they, 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 but they could every, every, every ounce of their create, and these are musicians. So they're, you know, they live for music and creating and, um, they could they could throw everything that every you know piece of creativity into this project. It it felt really good to give everybody a sense of purpose. Not that I gave it to them, but the the project gave everybody a sense of purpose. Yeah. And um, you know that and it, it just it was good for everybody's self esteem. Uh, it, it was you know and it just gave, gave us something artistically and creatively to to latch onto in one way or another. And Chris Stafford said it said it like as clearly as anybody, but everybody pretty much said the same thing. He just looked at me one, one of the, like the second day and he goes, man, it's good to feel useful again. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. I guess. I <laughs> and, totally get uh, that. You know, and it was like, ev- and everybody pretty much expressed that same sentiment in one way or another, you know, like in a different, in a different phrasing of it, but everybody was like, you know, man, it's good to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, and what I was, what I've trained my entire you know, since I was 15 years old, 14, you know, whatever, you know, my entire adult life, what I've been, you know, our skill set that we, you know, cultivated as a, a craft and all that stuff, you know, and, and, um, to be, to be actually applying that, um, made us all feel useful. And, you know, and it made, I mean, I know I felt I, I was, I mean, my mood was, you know, as good as it had been since the pan, you know, it's as good as and even since then, it's like my mood during the recording of that was, you know, I, I, I got up in the morning and I knew what I was supposed to do that day. You know, I want to circle back on a, something because I realized you said something sure. earlier on that probably outside of Louisiana, people don't necessarily know. In, like in here in New Orleans in summer, when, you know, tourism is down and the universities are out that a lot of New Orleans musicians, especially jazz musicians, brass band musicians, that they end up frequently going on tour around the States, and a lot of them end up going to Europe for European festivals. Sure. And, and, and 
I would imagine that's the same situation in Lafayette, that you have a lot of musicians end up either on tour or end up particularly in sort of European festivals during uh, summertime. Absolutely. If you're if you're at home in August, it's almost like you feel like a failure that you didn't get your <laughs> shit together to get the hell out of here. You know, you're like, what am I doing here? You know, yeah. like your friends are in Canada, and they're you know, we've we've typically gone. I mean, we've gone. Uh, yeah, we. I mean, we've gone all over Canada and Europe and 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 the you know, the Northeast or California or any anywhere but here. And I I typically uh, until this last year had been. Uh, typically gone from i mean i i would leave uh generally after jazz fest and be gone until after labor day at least uh, right. and just gone the whole time and even even in between gigs just sort of had you know you end up uh, if you do it for enough years you end up with people all over the place that you would you know that you would go i'm not gonna i'm gonna stay at my friend's house in rhode island or you know, or in in British Columbia, I'm not going back to lose. So like, feed the mosquitoes and then go back out again. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so like, you would just, you know, like, you would just. A lot of our friends would just kind of stay out more or less. You know, and and not even 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 if they're not actually working, they would stay gone because you don't necessarily want to be here. This this year, we're all kind of grounded. You know, um. So yeah, it, it, you know, it it you definitely wouldn't have had that opportunity to record the stuff um, or do any of that stuff in August and September. Uh, I, for one, would have been gone most of the time. And, and when I got the grant, I was like, how are we going to get this before next Christmas? Because we got the, you know, we got the grant came through in like March. And I'm like, this is, you know, if we don't like this is, I don't see how this is going to happen, you know, or maybe it wasn't, no, it wasn't March. It was before that. Uh, it was before the, you know, the pandemic, I guess it would have been in February, maybe early February. And I didn't see how I, I was kind of worried about it. I didn't, I was like, I don't know how this is going to be a logistical nightmare, you know, and you may be able to get one person in town, but it's like to be able to get all those people in town uh, would have been next to impossible. So it's it, like I said, it's crazy to say that the pandemic worked in our favor, but in a way it worked in our, you know, sure. us, and, us and Jeff Bezos, I guess, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I was pleased that I got to talk to pianist Jim Brickman. We talked in 2020 when he was working out how he could do his annual Christmas concert tour when he couldn't travel because of COVID. We talked about the role the music has played in his career 
And one of the things that interested me was how it related to the music he made the rest of the year. to Christmas music that your affection for Christmas music helped in some way to shape the kind of music you came to make? I think it's actually a little bit of the reverse in the sense that my style has always been very pop, very emotional, very inspirational, um, very melodic, and that that style of writing lends itself to writing about Christmas as opposed to the other way around. Okay. I tell you what I, was, what I was thinking a little bit about is sort of, you know, the aesthetics of Christmas records from the 60s and particularly sort of the, you know, you know music that either nodded toward, you know, the instrumental music that had an elegance to it, that had a clear style to it. And I wondered, since these are things I always associate with your music as well, that if that was also, you know, if, if there was either echoes or you're just, you know, well, or how did that work? My, my approach to Christmas music has always been to write a story or a, if it's going to be a romantic song like The Gift, let's say. Um, uh, the Gift is just a love song. It just happens to take place at Christmas time. So I try not to, for the most part, I mean, I have a lot of Christmas songs, but for the most part, there the approach is write a song that is appropriate to play during holiday time or has a setting of Christmas behind it, uh, as opposed to writing a Christmas song. Because the, the problem with Christmas, original Christmas songs, is that everybody starts with the same idea in their head, which is the uh, Santa down the chimney, presents under the tree, you know, this list of things that the lights are bright, the carols, uh, carolers are singing, the angels, the, you know, there's this kind of litany of obvious things. And so I, I try to stay a little bit away from the redundant and the trite. And I can t always tell when I hear an original Christmas song, if it's good or, or not so good, at the very beginning, the first two lines tell me everything about how they approached it. And so, you know, I have two, two styles of Christmas songs, story songs that take place with a backdrop. So it's people and relationships or love, but the backdrop is Christmas. Or silly, very like the latest one, fa la la and ho ho ho. Something that is intended to be just fun and lighthearted, not, um, not too much of the, you know, the 
the trite, I guess. Sure, sure. How many Chris? Do you know how many Christmas albums you've made? I think I have like ten or something like that. So I suppose the obvious question is: Are, are Christmas albums good business? Uh, it depends who your audience is. You know, I. It's completely in line with what I do. Christmas is. It's just a obvious natural extension of what I do. It's not as if it's out of character in any way. The other thing about it that's that's unique to me and I think important is that I'm an instrumentalist. So there aren't a lot of solo piano Christmas albums. There's instrumental like Trans-Siberian or Mannheim Steen, that kind of thing. But those are all very, you know, loud and big this is peaceful and and tranquil and and the best thing about doing piano instrumentals at christmas is that these you can do instrumentals of classics and hymns without comparing them to the definitive so i could play you know white christmas and you might even hear in what i'm playing bing crosby singing but you're not comparing my voice to Bing Crosby's. So, because I believe that the, that these classics, first of all, they're classics. That's why we call them classics and they don't need to be done a million times there. You know, people want to. And so you're asking me about, you know, why Christmas, it's just a natural extension. It's something unique. There aren't a lot of solo piano Christmas albums. And so, um, I think there are a lot of people who do Christmas albums because they think the record company thinks they're, they're good misses who really it's not in their wheelhouse to do it. And I don't think uh, some are fantastic when they do that, but some others it's, it just seems phony to me. it up there. Thanks to all my guests and thanks to you for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or thoughts you'd like to share, you can find me on Facebook at 12 Songs of Christmas. If you don't already have 12 songs in your podcast feed, you know what to do. Like, follow, subscribe, or do whatever you have to do to get it in there. We're on all the platforms, and if you ask Siri or Alexa to play 12 Songs of Christmas podcast, they can handle it. If you're an Apple person, a five-star review helps others find out what we're doing here. We'll wrap up today with one more from Joyeux Noël, Bon Christmas. The outlier in the bunch is the cover of Wham's Last Christmas by New Orleans' Sweet Crude. Sweet Crude had completed their debut album for Verve Forecast and were scheduled to release it and start touring 
when COVID forced touring to stop in March of 2020. That led to the album initially being delayed, and eventually the label scaled back its plans with an uncertain touring market and dropped the band. I'm a fan and love this version, so I'll send you out with them singing their version of Wham's Last Christmas. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.